Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. Welcome to a special PR Moment show in partnership with Marketeers on the UK results of the Edelman Trust Barometer. With me in the studio to discuss the findings are Louise Turner from Edelman Intelligence, Howard Kosky from Marketeers and James Erskine from Social Circle. Welcome, guys. Hi. Thank you. On today's show, we're going to talk about the recent news from Edelman's Trust Barometer that the UK's public's trust in social media channels has decreased in the last 12 months, while the trust in traditional media has increased. I suspect most of you are aware of the Edelman Trust Barometer, but if you're not, it's a pretty chunky report that surveys 33,000 people across 28 countries globally. Amongst the headlines of this year's report in the UK was that trust remains flat across all institutions. To give you an insight into the relative trust scores of UK institutions, we've got the media's trust score at 32, the government's at 36, business at 43 and NGOs at 46. One of the standout findings of this year's report was the decrease in trust of social media channels and the increase in trust of traditional media, including broadcast. For example, the trust score of traditional media increased by plus 13, online media by plus 5, while own media decreased by minus 5 and social media decreased by minus 2. To add some insight into the decrease in trust of social media, 38% of respondents disagreed with the statement that social media is a force for good, and 57% agreed with the statement that social media companies take advantage of people's loneliness. According to the research, UK consumers also have concerns about the lack of regulation of social media networks, the lack of transparency, and their use of personal data. In line with this insight, there is some data which suggests that a significant number of people are using the likes of Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, WhatsApp, Instagram and Snapchat less now than they were a year ago. As I say, this negative trust trend for social compares to a more positive story for traditional media brands. Their score has increased from 48 to 61 from 2017 to 2018. If you are watching this broadcast live, please do send us your questions in using the hashtag BarometerChat or use the form on the event URL on PRMoment.com. Louise, coming to you first, were you surprised by the report findings? I think that the social, some of the social media findings you've just talked about are not necessarily surprising in and of themselves. We know there's a lot of conversation at the moment about um, potentially more negative implications of being on social channels and having a social media presence. But I think the, the surprising piece of it is that while people do recognise some of the positives and they do enjoy sharing with their friends, connecting with people, our survey results found. The results that you've just spoken about, as well as we have seven in ten people in the UK saying platforms aren't doing enough to um, stop or, or sort of hold back illegal or unethical behaviour on their sites, not doing enough to stop bullying on their sites and not doing enough to prevent the spread of extremist content. So the surprising piece is, while people do recognise some of the benefits, there are some really sort of common worries coming through from the study this year. Okay. Howard, do you think this has led to an increase in trust in traditional media brands as the the, the, the trust has drifted away from the, the social platforms? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's great news that traditional channels are seeing an increase in trust. I think a lot of it potentially is down to the regulation of 
and the quality of journalism, the motivation of the content. Um, there is so much content out there. You know, social channels are very, you know, we all have access, I'm sure we're all on them. You know, this has been promoted through social channels. But I think my, my take on why there is an increase in trust in traditional is let's not underestimate the importance of a regulator to make sure that those media owners and brands are serving us content that has been filtered to the point where there's a level of, we'd hope there's a level of accuracy. Whereas with social channels, potentially one could question the motivation. You know, if social channels were being used as a forum for debate and conversation, with impartiality, fair enough, but I think the relevance of seeing a social influencer being paid because they are an influencer perhaps questions the independence and the validity of that individual. Just, just on that, the, the decrease in trust of social, is that reflective of, of the platforms or is that, is that also including things like influencers and, and, and the, the fact that they're so influential across social? I think it's a, probably a tricky thing to pick apart. <laughs> I think some of our findings that sort of help us better understand the, the movements are also around fake news. So we're seeing quite a lot of, um, well, 53% of people saying they're worried about fake news and 64% actually saying they can't tell the difference sometimes between proper journalism and fake news online. So I think that contributes to some of the changes we're seeing, whether... I mean, that obviously has an impact on how people engage on social platforms, whether it is uh, directly from influencers, whether it's content from their friends and family. I think both probably have a role to play. Okay. And just just on that, Louise, are are this year's figures, do you suspect they're, it's hard for you to say, I guess, but do you think they're likely to be the the start of a trend or are they a blip? Uh, What's Mm. your your feeling on that? So, yes, we'll we'll put a finger in the air and don't hold me to that (laughs) this time next year, but... I think I think they are the emergence of a trend because the numbers are fairly high. 70% of people are saying they're worried about these kind of things. Right. If we were seeing that just emerging as sort of 40-50%, you could say it sits within some groups, maybe not others. And I think whilst we can't say for certain, yes, we'll see an increase this time next year, I think it just gives us pause for thought okay. um, that such large proportions of the population feel like this. Sure. James, your, your business model, frankly, um, and tell me if I'm wrong, depends on the trust between social media creators and their audience. Um, so h- how do you take the, the, the findings of the report? It's funny. So I've digested the report, and weirdly nothing came as a huge shock to me. Um, I think it's about framing what, what various parts of the report mean. And I may come unstuck, uh, but, I mean, if you look at traditional media it stands to reason that people have a trust in traditional media, particularly broadcast media in the UK. So 50% of traditional media, dumb rule of thumb on TV and radio, is the BBC. And they are held to account and they are impartial and they're paid for by the licence fee. Interestingly, if you look at the global research, which I did in America, actually broadcast media's got trust has gone down a bit. And one of the reasons that Edelman Global CEO cited was because it's so opinionated. So the second you get opinions, then it starts to have an effect on that traditional media. So I get that. That makes absolute sense to me. And again, you know, I'm sure people have more, without naming anybody, although I'm going to name somebody, I'm sure people have more trust in the BBC than they do in Russia today. For example, so there in are quirks in the UK. In Russia, absolutely, know, but, yeah. absolutely, and there are quirks all over the place with multiple different media owners. That's the second thing in terms of framing the debate, and the use of platform is absolutely key here across all channels. 
Because Facebook, I disagree, by the way, they don't think they're a media owner. They think they're a platform. Even though they are looking, again, to invest in new content, YouTube are looking, again, in investing in original content. Twitter now shows sports rights. So, but they all say that they're platforms. And that, that's because they don't want to be regulated, isn't it? Isn't it's partly the reason. And this democratisation of content is a really positive thing. It's great. But within that, it's about self-regulation. It's almost worse than not being regulated. It's regulated by an algorithm. So it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you're only getting sent stuff that you like. So no debate there are problems with social media. So now the upside, the upside for the business that I work for and also the upside for social networks. They are starting to take responsibility, whether that be small steps. So Facebook's top 10 uh, things to look for when identifying fake news. That's the starting point. I'm sure no one's read the blog post. I have. But anyway, that's the starting point. The second thing is, from a brand's perspective, we're all in the business of representing brands in one way or another, I actually saw it for Social Circle as a relatively good thing because the shining lights on social media are those with a currency and a traffic and an understanding of their audience. So whether it be an Instagrammer with 100 followers or a YouTube with 100,000, they're going to turn off that YouTuber's content if they don't trust them. So if a brand is partnering with the right people, as long as they've done their due diligence... I don't think we're in trouble. I think it's about finding the right creators to give influencers their proper name. Okay. Well, I suppose just touching on the, the, the regulation theme, because they're, they're all global brands, any sort of regulation from national government is extremely difficult, isn't yeah, it? It's so. going to be really tricky. Um, who works in China, but perhaps we shouldn't go to those lengths. Yeah. Um, I think the self-regulation is key. So uh, both YouTube and Facebook are looking at employing more people. Mark Zuckerberg's, um, uh, he now sort of does a Christmas message, doesn't he, like the Queen in that respect. But his Christmas message this year was about delivering more meaningful connections and making, not his exact words, Facebook a nicer place to exist. So ostensibly I'm going to see a lot less pictures from The Guardian and a lot more pictures of my cousins on my Facebook timeline. So... Brands are going to have to react. That be a good thing. I don't well, know, exactly. But, yeah. but brands are going to have to react okay. to that because they're going to get less organic coverage across the social channels. Okay. Howard, you must be pleased with the strong performance of traditional media uh, as this reflects on broadcast channels. Is that fair to say? Yes. I mean, the, I think the interesting part is that you know, we've all been in business quite a period of time and the market will always look at what is fashionable. Um, Broadcast, you could argue, has never been fashionable, is not fashionable, it's just very solid. Um, listenership figures, viewing figures remain constant. And you know, as James mentioned about the BBC, the trust in the traditional media is, is phenomenal. So whilst you acknowledge that social channels, social platforms, whether media or platforms, extend the reach, the good news for broadcast is, I think, they employ experts in the main. And I think what I took out from the report also is, you know, the increase in trust with expert. I think the, the interesting move forward for the future where, where broadcast meets social increasingly is people who are experts leveraging their expertise through social channels. You know, it's, again, in the report, the fact that CEOs, the trust in CEOs went through the roof. That, you know, yeah. that's not something you'd normally see in a trend over, over many years. But that's a huge opportunity for brand. If you can match the trust in brand, the trust in expert, 
and understand how to use social channels correctly for reach, I think it's I think the future element of if we had that crystal ball, it's take the trust of broadcast, take the reach of the potential with social channels and platforms. And Brand, I think you have a very powerful combination. But the you know, well where I was delighted, but again came as no surprise was that broadcast, because it's regulated, employs experts, they're under-trusted brands, you know, in a, in a bit of a bum fight for an audience, I would expect it to do well. Mm. And I think those figures around credible voices and the rise of the expert, we see whether they be academic or technical experts as the most credible voices for information, but a person like me one could argue that's a proxy for an influencer, is also performing well. It comes in third. We see the big rises of CEO, big rises in journalist credibility too. So I think there's a real rise of the trust in the expert voice as well as there is still a role for, for yeah. influence and through a person like me yeah. too. I think the interesting part is if you, when people look at social influencers, there's a lot of publicity just around people who are famous for nothing other than being famous for nothing. The opportunity is, you know, if I chat with James, it's working with influencers who have a level of expertise in a certain... If you look at the gaming industry, you know, you know, electronic gaming, it's phenomenally powerful through social channels working with the right experts. The, I think the, the confusion, the word, I, the word that I think I sit uncomfortably with is influencer. Everyone is potentially an influencer, if you label someone in social media, they're a social influencer, you're not saying they're an expert first. And I think the opportunity is to redefine, come away from influencer marketing because a journalist is an influencer, a billboard is, everything we consume influences, influences us. But a social, an expert who happens to use social channels is an expert first. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. I was going to make a similar point. This experts, they're not, they're not confined to the BBC, although increasingly BBC Radio 1 does have a load of what people would term YouTubers across its schedule. So mm. traditional media are waking up to the power of these creators. Howard's touched on a really interesting point. The word influencer does nobody any favours. We broadly at Social Circle turn to marketing types and say influencers, and then we understand, you know, we're... we're There's a, a whole industry developed on the back of that word. Yeah, but, um, absolutely, yeah. and we're not that comfortable with it. And by the way, nor are the influencers. They much prefer creators, because they're content creators, and those experts, content creators, <laughs> they're a fitness experts that purely have a YouTube channel, and that the publishing industry are now publishing their books, and they always get to number one. There are tech influencers, to Howard's point, creators on tech so content. It's a, it's a market that's growing on industry, that's the right phrase, it's growing up quite quick. Completely. You know, it's changed a lot in three years, hasn't and it? And traditional media are waking up to the power of their influence. Yeah, okay. So. I, I, yeah, whether it's uh, Penguin Random House publishing Zoella's books or, or other publishers focusing the more... And then the other thing is how these experts are now using social channels. So actually there's a homogenisation of opinion and content. If you, look at me, if you think about YouTube in its very early iteration, it was instructional videos. Yeah. Mm. It was how-to videos. That's what you I know, use it for. <laughs> yeah, but no. But so, if you think about it, where it where it was born in terms of its increase, its rise of popularity in its early years was, I need to learn how to wire a plug in its most simple yeah. sentence. I will look for an instructional video on YouTube. The individual showing me how to do it was the expert. Okay. 
but obviously YouTube has grown phenomenally. Google, YouTube have taken, you know, I say taken over the world. The concern in the report was how many consumers view Google as media, mm. not a platform or a search engine. But, you know, the reality is, I think the opportunity for the communications and the PR industry is to recognise all the positives in the report of where trust lay and then leverage the opportunity, the fact that we are no longer narrow cast to be reliant on just receiving a signal in the traditional sense through TV or radio. We've got lots of questions coming in, so I just want to ask a convergence question actually with, with, with you, Harry, because it's linked to what we've been talking about a bit on the regulation side of things. But, but as broadcast convergence continues to develop, does that present a risk that the trust associated with, the, with that broadcast, those broadcast brands is likely to be uh, decreased as they move into that social field? Personally, I don't think so. Um, The reality is the role of a programme controller or head of content at any channel, you could argue, is almost that of a brand manager. Sky News is a brand. The BBC is a brand. Russia Today is a brand. And I think as long as someone is there protecting the quality of the content that sits under that label, whether it's going out on a Twitter feed, in a Facebook page, on a YouTube page, or through a traditional platform delivery, the role, whilst there is a regulator in the traditional broadcast landscape, and also with print media who are online, I think the opportunity is to make sure that the individuals employed within continue to protect the editorial integrity of their content. I'm okay. sure this is frustrating. Do you mind if I jump in on that for a second? Be quick, we've got loads of questions. I mean, just on that, how it's ex- this is frustrating because we're not disagreeing, but how it's exactly right. The brands are king, and in exactly the same way that an influencer of anybody needs to be trusted across whatever platform they're in, then absolutely the brands need to be trusted. The other thing to say is, at Social Circle, and we're by no means the only influencer marketing business in town, um, we work with Sky, The Telegraph, Nickelodeon. So traditional broadcasters are learning to harness the power of their brand and how to harness the power of the brand of the content creators. And it, you know, what most people in PR don't do is audit <coughs> excuse me, the reach figures of the likes of a Sky News across Sunrise on TV... Sky News on Twitter and its Facebook live feeds. Okay. And I think there'll be some very surprised people if you saw quite where the balance of reach lay. Okay. Just a, a question that's coming from <coughs> Miles. Louis, should I come to you first on this? In light of the results of the barometer, how do we assign a value to the trust associated with the media we land when part of a PR campaign? Interesting question. I think let's all weigh in. But I think <laughs> me- measurement is key. Yeah. So um, in our research, wider than the trust barometer, we do plenty of measurement work to try to get to that. I think there's never a perfect solution, but it's the right question to be Related asking. To the, the objectives of the, ca- of the specific campaign. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Anything that moves away from AVE. Trying to try the whole thing without the mention of <laughs> But, if it, no, but ulti- ultimately, try if the end objective is a behavioural influence, an impact commercially or otherwise, yeah. anything that can leverage a proof point that the trust of that message yeah. has influenced a behavioural shift has absolutely got to be a priority over a, a form of metric which doesn't look at sure. yeah. impact. 
There's no excuse for lack of analytics because all of the key social platforms have them. And then the other thing, and again, let's maybe get out of this creator-influencer hole, but if you are about to work with an influencer on a campaign and they won't share their demographics, don't work with them. Okay. <laughs> Please do continue to send your questions in using the hashtag barometerchat or indeed use the form on the event URL on prmoment.com. Questions um, from, um, from Sam. Do you think it would be more beneficial to regulate social media or educate consumers and the public on how to spot uh, the, the bad campaigns or, or the bad influences? I guess that's one for you, James. Blimey. I have been on the end of a piece of fake news and I fell for it. Yeah, okay. I... Um, I genuinely did think that Donald Trump once said that he would run for the uh, Republican Party because they got the stupidest voters. I believe that to be true. It's since turned out not to be. It was from, I think the Boston Globe is the real paper in Boston. It was from the Boston Gazette. So it looked to all intents and purposes. Um, To answer your question, I think it needs both. I think it needs a way to regulate. Facebook, for an example, are starting to isolate people that they don't believe to be purveyors of real news as opposed to fake news. Um, I think regulation, to your point earlier, because they're global businesses, will be a really tough thing to see. So it is part education and part regulation. I think both need to work in, in combination. Louise, another question in. We haven't got the name of who it's from, but what relationship do you see between the trust deficit shown in this year's study and the real-life consumer behaviours, particularly towards businesses and by implication by t- towards brands? In terms of, well... I suppose the, the, the relationship between the trust and behaviour, I suppose. Yes, is the, so the I think that one is... Um, I feel like we are answering every question with this answer, but that's not a simple answer um, because there are many different things that impact someone's behaviour towards a brand, someone's attitude towards a brand or or business as well. And what trust means to people, presumably. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I think what trust means to people, what else trust is involved in, the difference between trust and other brand equity measures, how much affinity someone feels with a brand, how much they love a brand, what role does trust have within that. Um, so I think it, it plays a central part, but I think there's always a, a, the potential for a gap between trust and behaviour. Right. We do see very high correlations when we do these studies for specific brands and for specific clients in terms of how trust attitudes play through to behaviours. Right. It does have a central role, but there are other many other so things that come into play. It depends on the number tr- of... Com- go on. Yeah. yeah, and truth has to come into it. I think from a brand's perspective, you know, how do you define, tr- how do you trust someone? Well, surely one of the first things has to be truth. So I think the opportunity for brand is that every brand will suggest they're telling the truth when they make claims. There is absolutely a need because I think increasingly, if you don't, you will be mistrusted. And I do believe the end consumer buyer now <clears throat> does make a decision and a purchase decision based on the corporate governance and behaviour of that brand. And I think there's one thing in saying you're telling the truth but also showing it. What facts you have, what evidence you have, how can you show that you are being transparent and authentic in what you're saying, what you're doing as well. Is there much, is there much interesting analysis around competitive set of, of, of truth? So if you look at, I don't know, if all banks, you know, we all, banks always come back with a, a fairly low trust score, maybe they don't these days, but at the same time we all give them all our money, don't we? So it's, but you, you know what I mean? So I'm just in wondering whether there's mm. a, does everybody 
regard their trust score compared to their competitor set, or do, do people worry just whether it's it's high or low relatively? And and so yeah. then it comes back to what you are trusting, because in our study we look at trust in institutions total. Right. So let's say business. We look at trust in sectors, the financial services sector, and then trust in specific. Let's carry on with the the bank example. Trust in banks, but also trust in your bank. Right. And generally, we see lower levels of trust when you're thinking about something at a very high macro level. Higher levels of trust when you're thinking about something more immediate to you. And you trust your bank often more than you trust competitor banks too. So there's okay. there's different levels to it. Yeah, just on a on a micro level again. Actually, that's fascinating that that you trust things as they get closer to you. Um, I think two things on that. We see when, frankly, a creator takes on too many brand deals, we do see that the trust goes down, or at least the engagement does. We can track that. And then also on a, on a micro level, I think that makes sense in terms of going back to the business model. Because yeah. people see, however inaccurately, they see these creators as their friends. They're that close to them. They could talk about personal problems with these creators. And that's why it's the combination. I think any PR or marketing or comm strategy that doesn't have a combination of traditional and influencer is crazy because they do slightly different jobs. Uh, just another question that's come in. What relationship do you see between the trust deficit shown in this year's study um, and real-life consumer behaviours, particularly towards businesses and, by implication, brands? How would you want to have a, a go on that oh, one? Oh, blimey. Uh, <coughs> um, so I, th- I suppose the relationship between the, 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 the trust that people have in brands um, and, and real-life consumer behaviours. I think it would be very interesting within the research if you broke it down by age profile um, and media consumption. I think there is clearly a generation that are growing up. Social media is just a standard part of their media diet. They will consume a brand based on a vlogger, a blogger saying the latest sportswear, active outwear is the best the peer pressure of millions of followers, everyone thinking they need to be buying that product will have an influence. I think potentially a slightly higher age group, it may have less effect because their current media diet, won't. they personally won't be as influenced by a content producer, I'll call them now, um, in the social sphere. You know, so I think, you know, I think it's, you know, my daughter is 19, I would suggest that she would be influenced by a content producer on YouTube, whereas, you know, myself or, or someone of my age, maybe less so. Just, there's a, a few more questions here. We've only got five minutes left, so I'll, I'll rattle through a few. Um, Danny says, enjoying the discussion, thanks. Sounds like a credibility or relatability, if that is a word, are crucial for trust. Um, can the panel think of a best-in-class examples where the two meet successfully, be that in social or traditional media? Um, so credibility and r- relatability uh, and I suppose therefore a campaign that's done that and has resulted in higher trust for that brand. We've, in, again in the influencer marketing space, right. now there are regulatory issues. So the Advertising Standards Authority is one regulator. The HFSS has, has rules about snacks. So, so actually... The ways that we're working with creators now is they're incredibly transparent about when they're working with a brand. 
Um, you'll even sometimes see um, see comments on individual social content. Thank you, Nickelodeon, for working with my favourite YouTuber, my favourite. So there, the brand's getting that kind of halo effect of working with the individuals. In terms of results, and weirdly, we've not spoken about print at all yet, but in terms of results, we five years ago, and I don't think you get the same results now, we worked with Evening Standard to drive trials of Audible, and I think we generated 30. We worked with one influencer called Fleur de Force, who's brilliant, just had a baby, um, and she generated 900, exactly the same customer journey, and it was 12 and a half minutes into her piece of content. Right. She was very transparent. I'm working with Audible. They've asked me to say this. Okay. So it's about, in the influencer space, it's, it's about being grown up and about being able to say, don't try and smuggle messages in, because, being honest, to Howard's point, the younger audience are incredibly savvy, and if they, they're happy to be sold to. We... I'm nearly 40, right? And I was at the Summer in the City, the biggest convergence of YouTubers. Not a place where I should have been, but for work reasons, I was. And somebody thanked their sponsor, Chupa Chups, an influencer called Dodie, and the crowd started chanting, hashtag ad. That's how aware they are of the payoff and the transaction. So be careful. Yeah, Yeah. be careful, but also be transparent as well. There was backlash when Simon Cowell in the final of X Factor, thank Just Eat as a sponsor. Mm. That did not sit well. No. And it's the same principle, isn't it? It's, I think it's... You can push it too far. Understand, let the, the audience know... They're in, the average consumer is fairly marketing literate nowadays, mm. more so than previously. Mm. And I think brands just, just need to understand that and not abuse it. Louise, does that come out anywhere in, in the, the numbers, the, the need for... Well, so a transparency with any sort of relationship with influencers, and and the need for, and and the fact that consumers are wary of over commercialisation of, of of the message. Mm, I suppose. Yeah, definitely, and I think it's probably about transparency in the right way, okay. uh, as we're saying, right? Um, in in the study, we've talked about how lots of people say that actually social media lacks transparency at the moment. We're seeing seven in ten people in the UK say that. Um, that we see it in lots of our different studies in terms of how people relate to brand behaviours and business behaviours too. So I think it's transparency to demonstrate authenticity of what you're doing, not not transparency for the sake of it. And yes, I've ticked a box and that's fine, I'm being transparent. OK, fine. Guys, time has flown. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. Um, thank you all so much um, for coming in. Um, thanks to you guys for listening. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, It's certainly been fun. Um, Enjoy the rest of your Friday afternoons and have a nice weekend. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.